Well, good morning. Good to be here with you. I hope you feel the same. Um, Let me start with a prayer, and then I want to read you a verse uh, to start with. So let's pray. Lord, uh, this morning, uh, though the the initial singing part of this service is over, uh, the worship continues. Worship continues because uh, you are deserving of that, you're worthy of that, and the, saint, the worship continues because you've put it in our hearts to worship, whether we do it in song or in some other way, you've put it in our hearts to worship, and so we extend that to you this morning. Holy Spirit, I thank you for your uh, presence, welcome you, your presence here this morning with us, give us ears to hear But even at a deeper level than that, Lord, where our spirit connects with your spirit, help us to hear deep inside in a way that maybe we can't verbalize, we can't quantify it, we can't explain it to ourselves or to anyone else, but we know that we've heard from and connected with you. And that's our prayer this morning in Jesus' name, amen. I want to start with a verse that I read um, not long after uh, surrendering to Christ. So I uh, surrendered to the Lord in my uh, mid-30s and somewhere in that first year or so, here's the verse that I read out of 2 Corinthians. Paul says, I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. And... um, the backstory on that, not on the verse, but on my reading it, was about 15 years prior to that, someone shared the gospel with me in college, and they told me that uh, the word gospel meant good news, and I remember telling them at the time, after they explained the gospel to me, this is good news. I'd never heard that before. I think I was 19. Uh, how do I live 19 years and I've never heard this gospel? This is, this is great. And I made a decision at that point. Was I a believer? I don't know. But I made a decision. I think I said a prayer. pretty sure I said a prayer of some form. Um, and I went about my life through college and then graduating from college and starting a career and starting a, a marriage uh, and a family. And I came to a point where it occurred to me after just a handful of years that, um, you know what, I'm really no different now than I was before. I'm different maybe outwardly some things, but in here where I live with me, I know what I'm like. I know the crap that's in my heart and in my head. And um, it occurs to me that over these, uh, whatever it had been, five, six, seven years, I'm really fundamentally no different than I was before I said this prayer. And looking back, I think what I expected of Christianity was some sort of a self-improvement program, and I wasn't improving. And um, so I just told the Lord one day, uh, I call him Lord now, I didn't then, I said, God, uh, if that's the best you can do, I'm still the same. If that's the best you can do, I'm done. Forget it. And I put all my books and all my Bibles I don't think this is before even CDs, so that tells you how long ago it was. I put all my cassette tapes and albums in boxes, and I put them on the curb, literally. And the trash collector picked them all up, and they're probably sitting in a landfill today somewhere. And I said, I am done, God. Um, I tried to serve you, 
you don't work, and I'm tired of holding back. I'm going to do whatever I want with whoever I want, and I'm just going to be me. I'm just going to live. And I did that for the next bunch of years. And, you know, that doesn't work out too well. And I finally, after many years of that, got sick of me. Now, my wife's an early adopter. She got sick of me several years before <laughs> I got sick of me. But, but I, I finally, I got sick of me. I got sick of um, being angry and being bitter. I got sick of being perverted, quite honestly. I got sick of being enslaved to certain uh, beliefs and, and certain behaviors. And I finally, through a series of circumstances, I surrendered to the Lord. I, just, I surrendered. And when I surrendered, somewhere in that first year or so is where I read this verse. Go back to the, go back a couple. There you go, thank you. I sur- first read this verse. And when I read that, my first, I remember my first thought was, This is another piece of great news. It was so refreshing to read this because what it told me was two things, really only one, I guess, about Christianity, and that's this. It's simple or sincere and pure devotion to Christ. That's it, Bob. That's that's all it is. And that was so freeing. That was so uh, refreshing. It was so good. Sincere and pure devotion to Christ. I felt like one of those people uh, written about in the Psalms. And the Psalms described how the Israelites came out of captivity after 70 years enslaved in Babylon. There's a Psalm that says, when we think about that time, we were like people who dreamed. We were like people who had laughter in our mouths. We couldn't believe we were free and we were going back across the desert to our homeland. That's what I felt like back then. I am finally free. Thank you, Lord. But my point in telling you all that is this, is that sincere and pure devotion to Christ is so basic. So basic. And we start a new series on worship today. That's really my main point is that we just want, just want to share with you the basics of what worship is, what it's not, what it is, and maybe a couple other thoughts. Worship is really basic. We often think of worship as just what we just did, the songs that we sing before and after the sermon, or maybe you think of worship as the songs you play in your car on the way to work or in your personal time with the Lord, whatever it might be. Um, we say to each other, hey, if we miss church, hey, how was worship this morning? Or, man, we used to attend this church way back there in another city, and, man, the worship was great. And we get what that means, but um, that's part of worship, but that's not all of it by a long shot. Here's the reality about worship. Um, There's nothing out of the ordinary about it. Nothing out of the ordinary. In fact, you've been doing it even before you were ever even a believer in Jesus. You were a worshiper because it's hardwired into you. It's something that it just comes natural to us. Here's what worship looks like, okay? Break it down in three kind of levels. We worship when we assign value to something or to someone. So there's a person, there's an activity, there's a thing, whatever it might be, and I perceive that there's some sort of benefit to me. That person or that thing has a benefit to me. And the next level is I worship when I begin to focus on and arrange my life around that person or that thing. And so my time my resources, my mental energies, my conversations. 
My meditations all start to be focused on and arranged around this person or this thing. And then finally, my worship when I become identified with this person or with this thing. So a few examples are a person who is into bodybuilding. Not working out, but bodybuilding, like hardcore bodybuilding. Maybe a person who has that same kind of drive, that same uh, oomph in them, but it's not bodybuilding, it's consuming alcohol. Or a person who's into investing, not just uh, financial stewardship, not being a wise, just being a wise steward, but investing. And I mean like every second of the day watching their portfolio come, and, come up and down. Those are examples uh, maybe of things that, that people worship uh, over uh, throughout the day. So here's the truth, though. It's not wrong to work out, take care of yourself, should. It's not wrong to, uh, if you care to, to have a drink with your dinner or have a glass of wine with some friends or whatever. Who cares? Not wrong to invest. Jesus actually addressed that in the Gospels about uh, wise stewards, wise investments. That's good stewardship. But here's the truth. Here's the truth about those things. We can enjoy them all and so many more things. We can enjoy them without worshiping them. That's healthy. That's freedom. That's good. But you can also get to a point where you worship them without ever enjoying them. And that's bondage. That's slavery. That can get into addiction. That thing that was once so healthy and so uh, good for me is now the thing that I bow down to. And it's got me by the neck. It's got me by the throat. But biblical worship, biblical worship, is when we assign value to... Go back one. When we assign value to something, when we focus on and arrange our lives around that person or that thing... And we become identified with that thing or that person. And that thing or that person is Jesus. Biblical worship is when Jesus is the center of everything. And I focus my time and my attention and my resources. I focus my mental energies. I become identified with him. Somebody calls you, dare they call you a Christian? I hope so. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be my hope, Okay. Well, the background of this word worship is really very simple. It it doesn't take a lot of study. Now, if you would, the next slide. Thank you. It means this, to show worship to, to kiss the ground when prostrating before. Ready to fall down and prostrate oneself, to adore on one's knees. And I find it fascinating that of all the words that the New Testament writers could have used to describe worship, They chose this word specifically that primarily describes your physical posture. But worship is not just what happens on the outside. The reality is worship is real biblical worship is showing reverence to kissing the ground when prostrating before a superior, Jesus, ready to fall down and prostrate oneself, adoring on one's knees right here in the heart before it ever happens outwardly. If it's just outward, then that's a show. Or that's, that's maybe an attempt. But that's misguided. All this happens right here before it ever happens externally. Before it ever happens outwardly. Okay? Because worship is 
first and foremost, how we live. Worship's a heart condition. If you look at the next slide, worship is just what happens in the heart. It takes place all right here, first and foremost. Ultimately, worship is surrender. Here's what Paul says in Romans. Paul says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is true and proper worship. So Paul obviously agrees with all the other New Testament writers when he defines worship as a body, something you do with your body. It's a specific position. We'll talk about more about that uh, in, in just a few minutes. A specific statue. statue uh, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's true and proper worship. Well, let me come back to this thought that worship is something you're probably already doing. There's a reason for that. There's a reason you're, you're already a worshiper. Psalm 150, I think it's the last verse of Psalm 150, says this, Let everything that has breath Praise the Lord. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And we go to uh, Matthew chapter 26. Take a look at this. Here's what Jesus says. Believe it or not, this has to do with worship. I'll get you there. Jesus says uh, to consider the birds of the field. They don't sow. They don't reap. They don't stow away. The flowers don't toil. The flowers don't spin. And he clothes the grass of the field. And in context... What Jesus is talking about is that these things, the birds and the flowers and the grass, he's talking about these things. In context, he's saying, hey, they don't sweat it when it comes to receiving what they need. They are not worried about that one iota like you and I tend to. Well, I'll leave you out of it, like I tend to. They're not worried about it whatsoever. But there's something else implied here. So there's the words that Jesus says, and there's something implied down here, and it has to do with worship. And the implication is this. If you've ever stood out, um, been hiking, been up in the mountains, deep in the mountains, maybe you've been by a pond or a river or in the woods somewhere, you've just been out somewhere, and you just pause for a second. And you just watch what's going on around you, and you listen to what's going on around you. You know what you'll see? You'll see all these things, the birds and the flowers and the grass, they're just doing what they're wired to do, doing what they're made to do. They're not sweating it. You and I were made to worship. We don't have to sweat that. These things do what God programmed to do. The next slide shows something even more amazing. Not only should everything that has breath praise the Lord, but it turns out, biblically, that everything that doesn't have breath also praises the Lord. The heavens and the skies and the earth and the stones. So the takeaway here is everything God created is programmed to point back to him in worship, in praise. Everything that has breath praise the Lord, as well as everything that doesn't have breath. Well, it's not just hardwired into us, not just programmed into us. It's not just an innate thing that we do. If you're a believer, it's also your calling to worship. It's your mission to worship. You'd say it's, a, uh, it's your job responsibility to worship. It's also a privilege uh, to worship. Because if you're a believer, you're a priest. Go to our next slide. If you're a believer in Jesus, you're a priest. You're a Levite. And the Levite's job was to minister to the Lord in all things. 
Our job as Christians, our role is to minister to the Lord in all things. That takes a lot of different forms. Uh, Certainly it happens when we sing songs, when we listen to a a Bible message, when you uh, are cleaning house and going to work and filling the car with gas and changing diapers. It's all worship if you point it that way because you're a priest if you're a believer in Jesus. And priest's job is to worship Think about what an accountant does all day. An accountant accounts. Yeah, I know, I know. Yeah, a plumber plums, right? And a farmer farms, and a Christian just worships. It's all an act of worship, uh, every part of, of our lives in Christ. Well, you notice something about worship as you go through and you read the New Testament. It's very subtle, but but you see it. As you go through the New Testament, what you notice about worship is it starts to change now. It's no longer all centralized and institutionalized. It's pulled out of the institution. It's pulled out of times and seasons and formalities and ceremonies. It's all uh, no longer any of that stuff. It's now more and more and more through the New Testament all about what's going on in the heart. It's all about what's going on in the heart, not the seasons and the places and the forms and the formulas and all that stuff. The focus is transferred to what's going on in the heart, not just Sunday, but every day. And here's what it looks like. It looks like this. Whatever you do, you do it for the glory of God. Whatever you do or you say, you do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus. That's what it looks like in the New Testament and in our lives today as believers You see that all over the place. You see people just living and talking and going about their business, but they're doing it all within uh, the context of the Lord. And we use this phrase in church. um, I hate church phrases, but we use this phrase in church, uh, doing life together. There it is. We didn't make that up, by the way. That's the New Testament. Doing life together, only they really did life together. And so uh, you see that all over the New Testament, and it's great. It's great when you see it. The Bible just describes life. Paul says this to the the Greeks. He says, uh, same idea. He says, in him, in Jesus, we live, we move, we have our being. It's just life. That's it. It's just our life in Christ. Well, like us, the believers did gather for services together. And when we do that, the Bible gives us some instruction about that. It shows us a healthy mix of responses to the Lord. And so here you go. Here's some of them. Some of these are more demonstrative than others. Some of these are are a little more quiet and contemplative than others. Some of them maybe you completely relate to. Some of them you couldn't see you doing in 5,000 years. And that's okay. No, No sweat there. There's a lot of ways to express worship. And again, there's many more than that. There's a lot of ways to express worship. But God, in his wisdom, give us one, gives us an overarching guideline on that, an overarching directive. And that's this. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 14. He says, God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. But everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. Everything should be done, but in a fitting and an orderly way. 
Now over the you've probably like us, you've been in a lot of churches over the years. We've been in a lot of churches with Teen Challenge over the years, and we've seen churches that emphasize everything, everything, with uh, no order or very little order. And it's just kind of, what's going on here? And they sometimes can have a tendency to, to force things or contrive things, and I mean, meaning well, I guess, but, you know, things that may not be the Holy Spirit. And we've been in churches, clear over here, who have a real handle on order. They don't permit anything, any expression that we just looked at. No expression uh, of the Holy Spirit. And they might tend to put a lid on what the Spirit wants to do. Or somebody who doesn't feel free to worship uh, the way that they're wired, they're programmed to worship. And so there's a balance in there. God is a God of order and edification. And he's saying here, we allow what's good for everybody, for the entire body, okay? Within biblical guidelines. So as long as we're talking about uh, outward expression, um, here's a reality that we all face. And maybe you faced it this morning. Maybe you're facing it right now. You surrender to Jesus. He's your Savior. He's your Lord. And you love the Lord. And it gets to be uh, Sunday morning. Or it gets to be uh, your alarm goes off and it's your time for your time with the Lord or it's your small group night or whatever it might be and you're just not feeling it. Like I said, you might be experiencing that right now. I just don't feel, I love the Lord, but I'm just not feeling it. I will tell you this, uh, that this has never happened with Radiant Church. There have been times my wife and I have been driving to church going, I, I ain't feeling it, man. I am not feeling You know what? It sounds really nice. Let's go home and sit on the deck and um, drink coffee. And I don't even like coffee, but I'll drink a coffee. That's how sometimes I'm not feeling it. And so, uh, you know, you know that. You've experienced that. And then those times when we're not feeling it, there's an old saying that I think applies very well here. And the saying is this. You've probably heard it. Choices lead and feelings follow. My choices lead and my feelings follow. If I let my feelings drive everything I do or don't do, it's not going to be good. But if I make my choices drive the train, my feelings will come along for the ride eventually. Choices lead, feelings follow. There are times where you're not feeling it. Maybe it's during worship here. And in your heart, you have the, the inclination to stand and do something simple like raise your hands. But just outwardly, you're just you're not there. You're not feeling it. Sometimes we just need to move our body. Sometimes just getting up and making a move is exactly what it takes. We need to be purposeful. Here's David's experience from the Psalms. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. So I'm downcast, he's saying. I'm not feeling it, but you know what? I'm going to make the choice. I'm going to put my hope in God. And I will praise him, not because I feel it, but because he is worthy of that. And what does the New Testament say? Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Same idea. Same idea. In fact, Isaiah has that same thought when he says, um, put on a garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness. Same thing. 
I feel heavy, I feel uh, down, I feel depressed, well, I'm going to put on a garment of prayer. I'm going to praise him anyway. So let me be clear. Here's, here's what I'm not saying this morning, okay? I am not saying that you need to do something artificial. Please don't do anything artificial. I'm not saying if you are a, um, uh, a quiet, contemplative person and the way that you connect, best connect with the Lord is to sit back in the corner, back in the shadows, and just pray silently. I'm not saying you need to get up and get down here and dance like David danced. Nah, that'd be silly. And you'd feel silly. <laughs> I'm not saying that if you are inclined to dance and be... Uh, express in that way, being demonstrative. I'm not saying you need to put a lid on it and go back in the back and sit and be quiet and pray like First Samuel, pray like Hannah prayed, very quietly and meekly. Not saying that. What I am saying is at Radiant Church, there's room for you to express your connection to him however you're wired to express that. Within biblical guidelines, within biblical directives, express it. I like to kneel. Well, no, let me tell you the truth. Um, I don't like to kneel. But you see me, I often kneel. I kneel because I like to kneel in my heart. That's in my heart to do. God, thank you so much for all you've done. Thank you for who you are. I cannot believe that I'm here and not living like this. Thank you so much. That's in my heart. Outwardly, I don't want to kneel. But I do it anyway. Because he deserves it. And because every time I have in mind to kneel, I hear another voice. And it's the voice of the enemy. It says all kinds of crap. Got a whole checklist of crap that he says. And that's my way of saying, oh yeah, take this. Shove it right in your face. I'm going to bow before Jesus anyway. I'm going to bow to you anyway, Jesus. Because you are worthy of that. So sometimes you just need to take a step. You need to move your body. Well, here's an umbrella truth from Jesus. It kind of wraps up everything I've said thus far. From John chapter 4, his encounter with the uh, Samaritan woman. He says this, God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. And without taking that apart and diving into it, I just encourage you sometime this week, read John chapter 4. Read that. Get alone away, alone somewhere. Read that. Meditate on it. And ask the Lord what he wants to highlight to you, what he wants to say to you. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. But here's the flyby on that, okay? The flyby is everything I've said so far is right there. God is worthy of praise. God deserves worship. God has programmed you and I for worship. There's not a specific time or a place or a form uh, for us to worship. It's all in there. He also commands us to worship. I haven't touched on that, but there's a command to worship. It's all in there, okay? Well, I'll invite uh, Nick, uh, worship team, to come up if you would. So as I close, I want to shift gears here because um, everything I've said to this point, and I hope it's been uh, good food for your soul. I hope it's encouraged you. I hope uh, maybe you heard something you never heard before. Maybe you've heard all kinds of stuff and you heard it before, but you heard a little twist on it or something. Cool. I hope so. Uh, But everything I've said to this point has been primarily for the head. Teaching. It's information. It's good information. Take it and use it as directed by the Lord. But everything I've said has been primarily for the head. Um, But as we said, 
Uh, worship is really what happens in the heart. That's where it begins. And we worship, uh, usually when we worship, appropriately so, it's a way of saying thank you. Lord, thank you for what you've done. And I can list off all these things. Thank you for that time when I was whatever age year, years old and this bad thing happened and I was spared from that. And what, absolutely thank him for that. Thank him for the, um, the circumstances in your life. But there's another level of worship. So that's all kind of up here in the head. There's another level of worship that's right down here. Whereas Paul says, my spirit bears witness with his spirit that we're connected. Where I can't verbalize it, I can't quantify it, I can't explain it to you. I'm pretty sure I can't even explain it to me. But I just know that there's a connection with him and I have to worship him. That's another level. That level of worship is not contingent on anything he's done, anything I'm asking him to do. It's just contingent on who he is. Period. That's it. It's a natural response. Worship like that is a natural response when you're confronted by someone or something that's bigger than you. It's so expansive, I can't even take all of him in or all of it in. My natural response uh, is to worship. Isaiah experienced that, Isaiah chapter 6. says, I saw the Lord, and he realized what happens when you see the Lord. No man sees the Lord and lives, but he did. He says, I saw the Lord, and his takeaway was this, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. I am a sinner. I'm guilty. I'm a sinner. John, in the book of Revelation, had that same encounter. In Revelation chapter 1, he was on the, the beach and he heard, he heard a voice behind him and he says, when I turned to look, I fell down as though dead. It was Jesus. When I was, uh, uh, I think my first year of college, I think I was 19 years old, and I went home uh, one weekend and I uh, had a brother-in-law who was 19 years old, my same age. And he was in a fast-pitch softball game. I, I'll stop by and watch. So I was sitting there watching with my sister and her kids watching this game. And I happened to be looking at my brother-in-law standing in center field, and he hit the ground. Dead. Cardiac arrest. And when I read this verse, when John says, I fell down as though dead, that's the picture in my head is that when you're confronted with who and what and how holy God is, Jesus is, it's not pretty. It's not um, courteous. It's not respectful. It's just, I fell down as though dead. I fell down as though dead, John says. It's a natural response is to bow down. And so toward that, uh, I appreciate the songs this morning. Well, I appreciate all the songs that we sing here, but I appreciate the songs this morning for a special reason, and that's this, because there's no mention of me in there or my life or my, my circumstances or what God's done for me or for you. It's just all pointed to Him. It's all pointed to Him. One of my uh, rules at Teen Challenge for our morning worship is we don't play any songs that talk about me. They all point to him. Every song points to him, period. I don't need to hear about me anymore. (laughs) 
I need more and more of who he is. All right? No mention of my life and my circumstances getting better, although that's that's worth acknowledging and thanking him for, too. Chuck Colson said this. Charles Colson said, first century believers, first generation believers in Jesus never tried to prove the validation, never tried to validate the gospel by demonstrating to people how their lives got better since coming to Christ because their lives didn't get better. Read Hebrews chapter 11. They were persecuted. They were thrown in prison. They were sawn in two. They were destitute, it says. They were homeless. They went about in goatskins and sheepskins. They lived in holes in the ground and in caves. And the end of that chapter says, they were men of whom the world was not worthy. Their circumstances did not get better when they came to Jesus, but they worshiped him anyway. He's worshiped anyway. I ask you to stand with me as we close. As we uh, continue through this service, I'm going to encourage you to not just, when we get to the song, not just sing, but to worship. Because, you know, it's possible to even sing these songs without worshiping. God cautions us about honoring him with our lips while our hearts are far from him. But like Isaiah, um, you may need him to show you the weight of your sin. I'm not saying some gross, ugly thing in your life. I don't know where you are, but you do and he does. Ask him, Lord, show me the weight of the stuff that's in my life. Some of which I know, some of which I'm probably blind to. Show me the weight of that. Show me my uncleanness without you. Show me who and what I am, not just the consequences. And by contrast, like John, let him show himself to you. 